Hello, and welcome to Tabletop Game Talk, a show where we talk about tabletop games and gaming topics of all kinds. This week, we're talking about what we should expect from game publishers. I'm one of your hosts, Fletcher. I'm Kitty. And I'm Chris. If you play games, chances are you've come to love, or maybe not love, certain publishers in the industry. Maybe you've said something like, they should really focus on their organized play program, or they need to stick to a consistent release schedule, or they should really make an expansion for this. And of course, the components for this game are fill-in-the-blank, flimsy, overproduced, wasteful, perfect, not what I want them to be. Are we unreasonable? Yes. But how unreasonable. Today, we are going to try and see some of these issues from multiple sides. But first, as always, a thank you to our Patreon friends of the show, Adam Harrison, Miles Clark, Sahara Went with Michael Finley, Listener Doug, and the Gift of Games in Grays Lake, Illinois. Huge thank you to all of our other patrons as well. Um, yeah, you should join us on our live recordings. But I'm not going to tell you what that is because, A, very good live recording intro to this show um b <laughs> we're not going to do live episodes for the rest of the year um so that is next week and the week following we won't have a live show uh but we will have live we'll have episodes uh fletcher and kitty and i will get together and find a time to work around our holiday schedules we will be back on january 2nd 8 30 central time and usually when i give a break from live audiences i likely give stuff away to our live audience when we come back so if you want to join us then there might be something but it might not be i don't know um depends on what christmas presents get i get that i don't want (laughs) um also if you want to keep in touch with us while we're not having live shows discord uh link in the show notes bga link in the show notes and a quick ish a quick note on our last episode um hadrian's wall has an apostrophe in it which messed up the file which meant that we couldn't you couldn't download the episode for the first few hours it was published. Um, if you were unable to listen to the last week's episode and you want to listen to Fletcher and I talk about Hadrian's Wall, uh, you can do that now. Just go and it was fixed within a couple hours, but most people's podcasts, reader catchers, whatever, don't uh, update automatically. Um, Wait, really? The apostrophe also, screwed Kitty, up like podcatchers? Yeah, uh-huh. it basically what it did is it put us base or percent something or other in there and then the rss feeds didn't process that correctly because the file name can't have a space (laughs) in it yeah so that was my fault i fixed it eventually um and then kitty introduced me to a new game this morning was it this morning or last night it was this morning yeah okay because i've also now i've played it like (laughs) six times um (laughs) and i haven't decided if i like it or not but i think I do. I think I like it a lot. I'm, it's enough where I'm making it our next tournament, so I can find I out if I really like it or not. I have to go to the Discord to figure out who... Someone started one of these games, like, last week. Yeah. Just so, kind of a, yeah. a whim so, I joined. Yeah, spoiler alert. It's the game where... It's not really a spoiler alert, but, you know, for those who are listening, like, what game are you talking about? Um, it's a game that Kitty was talking about this morning, and it's on our Discord. Um, I'm real sure. Uh, it was Joe it Hoover. Joe, Joe brought it up. Yeah. Um, look at the stars. This is a game that if you were to look at it, you'd have one of two reactions. Ooh, I really like that art. Or, okay, that looks like um, <laughs> a print and play, maybe? Because um, it's all black and white. Mm-hmm. And I love it. I love this art style. This is very up my alley, which is yeah. why I clicked on it to begin with. Well, it's the art style is the reason why I didn't click on it. 
But then you sent me an invite, and I'm like, okay, I'll check this out. So this is a flip and write. Uh, it's a very similar... I mean, it's comparable to Next Station London, right? Yes, in that you were but drawing lines from dots yeah, to dots. You're drawing lines. You have two objective cards. Um, you're going to be flipping cards until you run out. Um, so there's a lot of similarities there. It plays to eight instead of four, which is nice. And it is a point maximizing game based on drawing constellations in the sky. And then you have eight different boards. Each board's a little bit different from the others, but they, they're all fair. Uh, they're just a little different. And yeah, you're just drawing line segments, essentially. It, it sounds dull, but it's very, very compelling. And mm-hmm. yeah, look at the stars. This is going to be our next tournament. I've already created the tournament. I will be posting the link in Discord tonight. And I'll actually, um, I'm not going to put it in the show notes because if I put it in the show notes, too many people have access to it. So if you want to join <laughs> our Look at the Stars um, tournament, you'll need to be on the Discord and then go into the channel that'll be created specifically for this tournament. Um and you can join it. I'm doing it in threes this time. So there'll be three groups of 12. And then the top three, I think, advance. I'm pretty sure it's something like that. Anyway, it's, it's a larger number of the groups. Top four? Maybe, yeah, top if four. you're keeping in groups of 12. Yeah, yeah. Three groups of 12, top four advance. And then it's games of three people. So even though it plays to eight, we're going to do three people games. Because it is 16 turns. 18 turns, Mm -hmm. 18 turns, and three people, it's just more likely you're going to get through those 18 turns. Um, They're nine days as the length of the game, so that should be enough time. And the tournament will kick off on the 27th. So this is Mm -hmm. the New Year's tournament. So uh, You should toss that quick video um, up in the Discord, too, that I sent you. Yep, there's a four and a half minute video on how to play, plus I'm sure there'll be... yeah. There'll be lots of games posted in the Discord, um, our BGA notifications channel over the next couple of weeks as well, if you want to get practice on it. But uh, yeah, that's Look at the Stars, and it's pretty cool. Like, Except nobody should play so I can maintain my I'm good at this at the beginning <laughs> I'm, before everyone I else am, gets better than me. <laughs> yeah, I am not good at this one, which is why it's very compelling because I'm like... Oh, and there's not a single player version yet. Like you have to play it at least two players. Yeah. So I can't just like practice. Um, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I'm not I've as good at this one, one as of these I games. The I liked this. I played one game uh, with some of our listeners, and then I started one this morning and sent it to Chris. And Chris has already lapped me on how many games he has played by like ten. So <laughs> I I made my so you you texted me just before I did my work. We do our Three days a week, we have a half-hour meeting of no work work meetings. And I'm like, okay, we're not going to play Railroad Inc. today. Instead, we're going to play this new game called Look at the Stars. And I sent them the five-minute video, and I'm like, you have 45 minutes to watch this video. Half of them did, uh, so I still had to do an explainer. But, um, but yeah, no, it was well-received, and so we have another game going Chris, right now. Just because you're not working doesn't mean the rest of your, the team isn't working. I... 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 Uh... I know. And I try not to get upset at them for working. <laughs> but it really can get annoying, right? Because I'm trying to play games and you're sitting here doing work yeah. and it's so frustrating. <clears throat> half the half my team messages to the people who work for me are take your turn. So um the other half is is that thing done yet? Uh, also <laughs> take your turn. <clears throat> take your turn, then do that thing. 
<laughs> yeah. In that order. I know. So, <laughs> so that is, let's see. So that's our our look at the stars tournament. We'll talk more about that over the next couple of weeks. Um, let's see. I already said our next live show is January 2nd. How has your weekend been, Fletcher? My weekend was good. Um, Carmen and I just took it easy. We didn't. Uh, well, actually, <laughs> so we took it easy on Saturday. There was uh, this like downtown Santa pub crawl thing. Um, <laughs> oh, T box. Yes. So we had a mutual friend of ours uh. that was like decided <laughs> that they wanted to go to this. So we're like, all right, we'll come with you. And, um, yeah, I've, that I, is the 12 bars of Christmas. Or yes. Xmas. That's why it's tea box for anyone who hasn't had the misfortune of stumbling upon it in Chicago. <laughs> yeah. You just walk up and down, you know, Clark, um, mm-hmm. in Wrigleyville. But yeah, I, I, that was like one of the first times I legitimately felt old. I was like, can we turn down the music? Can we go to a different bar? <laughs> this this right. place is really packed. <laughs> Something with some proper lighting and the music's, you know, so we can have a conversation. Right. Um, so, that, I mean, I still had a good time, but I was like, yeah, I don't know if I want to, you know, do this again. And, you know, to be fair, it's not for people who are, you know, close to 40. This is more like people who are mid-20s. Don't call us close to 40. <laughs> I'm not calling you close to 40. I'm calling me close to I'm 40. your age, though. <laughs> <laughs> but I know better than to call you close to 40. I'm calling me close to 40. That's true. I just know what I'm it means. close to 40. <laughs> just on the other side. Sure on you the, are. On the other side. <laughs> um, Everyone's close to 40 if you make it a small enough or large enough scale. Yeah. I rounded the nearest tens. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> um, this soon just rounded the nearest quarter decade. So we did that on <laughs> Saturday and uh, it was still a good time. But. Um, yeah, probably uh, probably not for us. Uh, and then on Sunday, we just like recuperated from that event. <laughs> John asked, at one point, do you round up to fifty? You never round up. That's that's just the that's the full statement. You never round up. <laughs> <laughs> Michael's like, you round up to fifty when you're fifty four. That's about right. <laughs> so, Katie, how was your weekend and week? Because we haven't talked to you in a week. Yeah, well, we were real busy, so we took the kids down. Um, Player 3 had uh, some days off school last week, so we went downtown, and we did the Chris Kindlemart, and then I took Player 4 out to the suburbs with me while Spencer stayed downtown with him, and they went to the top of the Willis Tower and then took the train home. Hmm. That was the most exciting part of the day, was they went down. We did the Chris Kindlemart. We wandered downtown. We had lots of popcorn and treats, all this fun stuff. Did you do the one? But the best part was taking the train. Did you do the <laughs> one downtown or the one in Wrigleyville? The one downtown. Okay. That's the better one. It is the better one. But, you know, yeah, I, have, I haven't been to the really top the thing. to the Willis Tower. I've never been. I haven't done that. <laughs> um, Spencer said it was terrifying. They went out on the glass ledge. <laughs> my son just looked straight down like hey look there's the ground and spencer's like please stop <laughs> i don't like this. get <laughs> don't off that anything. glass now <laughs> <laughs> there's some real great pictures of it um, 
So they did yeah. that. We stayed out at my parents' house, and the next day we did Museum of Science and Industry oh, with the cousins. Love that and place. That was wild, <laughs> but fun. Yeah, we've been wanting to go there for a while. Maybe, maybe this winter on a nice driving day we'll go down there. It's my a great sister's a member. Thing. Yeah, and they have um, every year they do christmas trees from around the world so like every country has a tree that they decorate in a traditional style of that country so that's fun so it's it's fun to do during the christmas season to go see those but uh the kids were not very interested in that they wanted to do all of the weather stuff was very very popular with them um and my son was really excited to see the submarine inside but that was like five minutes of like yep that's a submarine all right (laughs) moving on (laughs) yeah yeah so we actually we did go downtown as well not the thursday that you went um we went on sunday uh because bluey was in town so we watched the bluey play yeah and it was only 45 minutes long but the kids loved it like they were just riveted by it my sister was there dancing (laughs) along and singing and like yeah, it was, it was, I actually, I should, should have told me I would have tracked her down, but um, it was fun. And then we went to the Chris Kringle Mart and went in and walked right back out because it was just <laughs> nothing but shoulder to shoulder bumping around. And we're like, okay, well, we'll I'm just sure pick up some food. Wild. That's why we went on a Thursday. <laughs> yeah. And then everything was cash only. And I'm like, if it wasn't so crowded, I would go to an ATM and get some cash right now. But we're just going to walk directly out. And then we went to the Partillo's drive-thru. So that's what we did for lunch instead. I'm sure it was a better choice. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And then we had our Keyforge event on Saturday, uh, which was really good. We had, I think, nine people playing. We played over 25 total games over like a three and a half hour period. Um, So that was very successful. I uh, had a lot of fun there. And yeah, then it was became Monday again. I'm like, ah, I have to work again. But I'm hoping this week is a little nicer. And I try, I'm trying. I put in the time off for next week, but we'll see if I get sucked back in or not. I'm, I'm hoping I have a little bit of downtime and can get some more work done on the Hadrian's Wall stuff that Fletcher's going to do for me. Because <laughs> he's like... Spencer's off all that week, too. So I created an account. Excellent. That's That's the first big step. I haven't done anything so, yet, but all right. I, I did that. <laughs> we'll get you we'll get you started. We'll find a time. It'll be it'll be good. It'll be good. We also have to find a time to record two more episodes um before the holidays hit. So we'll figure that out. In the meantime, like you said, Spencer's off all next week. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we'll just pick a day. Middle of the day. <laughs> middle of the day. And we'll just get it done. Um all right, let's talk about publishers for a little bit because I actually texted you guys and I said, hey, I don't think we've done this topic. I've wanted to do this topic. I know we've covered some things around this topic, but let's talk about publishers and our expectations of them. Because I listen to a lot of podcasts that are kind of like behind the scenes industry stuff. um, And I find the publishing industry for games fascinating. And Kitty and I, I, I wish we could track down the episode i just remember (laughs) we talked about this a long long time ago and i was trying to explain to you how essentially there's no money in games and you said then it's a stupid business why does anyone do it (laughs) um i think this was kickstarter i think that was part of our kickstarter part of it yeah it was when we were talking Um, about how simon yeah the simon if simon isn't making money they're a bad company 
Just saying. <laughs> I mean, they but. are making money. They're doing it very well. They just do it on Kickstarter. Um, they should make yeah, their so own that, pre-order platform. They are starting to do that, honestly. Yeah. yeah so I, I've actually I've, I've pre-ordered a few things. So they're doing it now for littleish stuff. And I do think that they're going to probably start trying to do their own stuff. Um, right now, they still have like two big Kickstarters a year or something like that. But that's their yeah. business model, right? Um, but they put out way more than two games. It's just they have two two to three, maybe, big ones that they kickstart. So, yeah. Publishers. Do we love them? Do we hate them? <laughs> do you know your favorite publishers or not? Like, is this something that only the the biggest nerds pay attention to? Because I don't think I started focusing on it until I started going to conventions and focusing on booths. I... I don't actually know when I started remembering publishers. There are a few right, publishers. A point. That, yeah, there is a point. And I still, there's certain publishers where like I'll know of them, but I wouldn't be able to tell you the games they do because they all seem kind of the same to me. Like AEG and uh, TMG. I know they're very different companies, but they just have a three number, three letter acronym. So I'm like, um, they do games, but things, something like Stonemeyer. <laughs> Like, I'll buy everything Stonemaier puts out because, you know, most of the time they put out games that I like. Um, Fantasy Flight used to be a publisher where just about anything they put out I would pick up. Now I'm very selective because I think they put out a lot of not great stuff. Um, but there's still the lines I like of theirs I still like. And I'll grab that. Uh, but yeah, so I, I mean, I have my favorite publishers. Like, I know at least one of yours, Kitty. But like, what are your favorite publishers? Me? Mm-hmm. Um, so let's see. Most recently, I will pretty much buy anything Flat Out Games does. They're the company that did Calico, Cascadia, Verdant is their latest Kickstarter. Um, I think they were picked up by AEG, but like I, I only like the, the Flat Out <laughs> publishing name of that part. Um, I like... WizKids is one that I always go check out. They're very hit or miss, but they've got some of my favorites that I've picked up at conventions. And Blue Orange is a really fun one. They've got a lot of kind of the more wacky stuff that I enjoy. And what is the one that I know you're thinking of that I'm thinking Osprey's of? Osprey's the one I'm thinking of. Osprey, yes. Yeah. Like, you know, they have all the like artsy kind of games two player stuff yeah artsy two player fancy games that i like all right so, and then so those are my me, main ones that i so give me remember two publishers that you really don't like Simon mm, is the only one i can think of where it's like if it says Simon, i'm pretty much like that's uh, probably not for me which is fair they do a lot it's of not games that i don't like them although it's that funny I don't We're not my Simon published, <laughs> published Railroad Inc. I don't own Railroad Inc. Oh, well, I like to play it. Enough, it. Though. <laughs> I have. I only like it online though. Yeah. I don't well, like it were, in person. <laughs> they were just the publisher. They were they were not the uh, designer of that game. But yeah. Um, but yeah, they they publish a lot of stuff. Yeah, there's a lot of kind of umbrella companies. Like I was saying with like flat out games, they started as like they did their first Kickstarter and then like suddenly got enveloped by another company and that seems to happen a lot but you can always tell kind of like the the companies that still exist within the greater company 
make very different things sometimes. Yeah. Well, and then, especially for CMON, they've actually spun off a couple, like, Spaghetti Western games or something. I think it's not Spaghetti Western, but something spaghetti. Um, that's a <laughs> another line of their games that, you know, just a different brand. But yeah, I, well, I'm going to ask Fletcher. Fletcher, favorite publishers? You know, I, when you ask Kitty, I'm trying to think, like, what are my favorite publishers? Hmm. I don't know. I mean, I guess maybe Wizards of the Coast. But that's just because they publish D and D. But I mean, beyond that's that, I, I don't. I don't <laughs> think I have any. So, Wizards of the Coast is an interesting one because it is some people's favorite publisher and some people's absolute least favorite publisher on the planet. Um, and I think it all just depends on how closely you follow Magic. If you love Magic, <laughs> you probably hate Wizards of the Coast. Um, if you love D and D, you're like you probably like Wizards of the Coast. Except for sometimes get annoyed with them. (laughs) Yes, Um, but there's all kinds of reasons why people like they're one of the biggest game publishers you know in the world, and not necessarily by the number of games they put out, but just by the amount of money they make off the games they've they've put out. So they are the target for a lot of things, and yeah. So any kind of Twitter drama, if there's a chance to throw something at Wizards of the Coast, people are throwing it at Wizards of the Coast. But I agree. I like Wizards of the Coast. I'll buy just about. I buy everything they put out for D&D. Um, I'm not even a joke about that. It's like 100%. Um, <laughs> every special cover, I own it. Everything on D&D Beyond, I own it. Um, if it's D&D official product, I probably own it. Now, what the controversy with Wizards of the Coast is, they did a Magic the Gathering official product at $1,000 for, for, for four booster packs of reprints of old cars that they said they would never reprint and they made them non-tournament legal. So they're like proxy versions of these cars, but they're still clone duplicates, but a thousand dollars for four packs of non-tournament. So it was like, it was like purely like a collector's thing. Exactly. Yep. And it was still random boosters. So you could spend a thousand dollars and not even open, you know, the, the card you want. Um, I think that put a lot of people, over the edge and they ended up discontinuing the product uh i want to say a week or two ago uh it lasted for a very short period of time not a lot of sales and then it was it was gone so publishers make mistakes and no matter how good a publisher is or how good they've been doing it only takes one mistake to really lose enough of the public trust because that public will be very very vocal and that's what i'm kind of want to talk about on this episode is are our expectations for publishers too high? I didn't answer my like least favorite. Um, I don't. I don't think if I answered my favorite or least favorite, but like I love Chip Theory. I won't buy anything Chip Theory does, but I love what they do and what they try to do. Stonemaier, I already mentioned Wizard of the Coast. Yes, for D and D, and then we have things like um, game companies that are still around. That I wonder how and how they're still around. Um, and Steve Jackson's <laughs> games would fall into this. I was um, just going to say, I wonder yeah. how long it is going to take for Chris to start complaining about Steve Jackson <laughs> games. Well, well, the thing is, I know why they're around. They're around because of Munchkin. But Munchkin is like one of the most hated games for the people who are in the hobby. But it's one of the most loved games for people who aren't in the hobby. Man, I and hate that game. <laughs> it's, it's a terrible game. Um, but people love it, right? And so that's what kept them around. I don't know anyone who likes it. You need know. to play with people who don't normally play games. 
That's that's the big thing. It's not My a gamer's problem game. is that I don't know those people. I don't know how <laughs> I have done this where I exist in a whoops only gamers bubble. Well, <laughs> whoops all gamers produce good games. <laughs> yeah. If someone said, "Hey, let's play Munchkin," you'd be like, "Hmm, maybe we play this other game instead." And then, you know, like I <laughs> I'm the kind of person who like accidentally grew up with a cousin who already owned all of the Lord of the Rings living card game and I didn't know about it until he started listening to my podcast that he also didn't know about like that's just <laughs> this is the bubble I exist in <laughs> it is the bubble but well my point with Steve Jackson games is I liked them when I in the 80s when they came out um uh oh what is the game I'm thinking of I want to say Attack of the Fried Green Tomatoes, but it's not that. It's Awful Green Things from Outer Space or something along that lines. Um, <laughs> one of the first games I played where it's like these you're, these aliens are invading your spaceship and you have to fend them off. And it was great. Um, but they just never really did anything. And then Car Wars 6th Edition came out. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is amazing. And it is. It's great. And then my expectations got the best of me. I'm like, okay, well, you did this, but now you need to do all of these other things to satisfy me. And if you don't, then you're a terrible company. And I'm going to go on my podcast. I'm going to tell everyone how you're such a terrible company because you can't get it right. And I don't think that's fair. I think that that is not fair. I think that if you make a good game and you enjoy playing it at home, that should be enough. And so I'm 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 being unreasonable in this regard. And that's I'm admitting that right now. I think they made a great game. I still love it. I still have. I have two full copies of it. Um and I love it. It's a great game. Period. Do you play it? Um, I have not played it in a while, but in fairness, I haven't played most of my games in a while. And that is a heavier <laughs> one to get to the table. That is true. So, so it's, I don't have not to play it. Not a high it. bar, though, Chris. <laughs> exactly. Uh, which is one of the reasons why I'm trying to get rid of so many games is so I can be left with the games that I just want to put on the table. It is a game I will not be getting rid of. I, I don't see myself mm-hmm. ever getting rid of um, Car Wars 6 Edition. But... I will say that there were things they did I disagreed with, but I don't know that that matters or it should matter, right? Like, mm. I think that what really sparked this was um, Stephen Bonacore on uh, Board Game Insider when it kind of, not on, kind of a tiny mini rant on Kickstarter backers or crowdfunding backers feeling entitled. And I have to agree that if you watch the boards on these uh, crowdfunding platforms, you will have people saying, if you don't do this, I'm canceling my pledge. And I think that's fine to do. It's fine to ask publishers for something. It's fine to cancel your pledge. But when you throw it out there as a, you better do this or I'm out, I just don't think that's a nice thing to do. And I don't think that publishers deserve that kind of treatment, especially when they're just like people, right? They're trying to make a game. They're trying to make people happy. And that's what they end up facing. Yeah. And I think this is different than just somebody saying like, please meet the expectations that you set forth for me. It's usually something above and beyond or, or something outside of the scope of the original project. Because I don't think there's anything wrong with holding publishers accountable to their word. And I don't think that's sure. what he or you are saying. No. It's it's not about, you know, live up to the expectations you set. It's you set these expectations and I need you to do this, this, and this more before I will give you my $50. And sometimes it's like that. 
It's like mm-hmm. it's it is amazing how how frankly entitled c- people can be. Um, mm-hmm. And I think it really what it comes down to is people think of game publishers as these giant companies, and almost none of them are. There's a couple that are mm-hmm. big. I still wouldn't call them giant. Um, if you want to be upset with Asmodee, hundred percent, I'm in your camp. You can be upset <laughs> with anything Asmodee does. Um, but most other game publishers are a handful of people at best. And you're talking mm-hmm. to like the owner of the company is doing the social media and answering all the responses on, uh, you know, any uh, game found campaign or Kickstarter or, or whatever. And people expect, you know, immediate response times. Uh, this stemmed from Ignacy Chavichak, who is the founder of Portal Games, basically posting saying, look, we won't be answering crowdfunding threads on the weekends because we need some time off too. So mm-hmm. we'll answer everything on Monday and getting backlash from that. It's it's that kind of stuff. It's just like, ah, we, we've gone really that far. And I will say, in defense of past Kitty, it's Simon's fault. <laughs> okay. They have set the expectation that because they do, they have a team. It's not a big team. Maybe it's not as large a company as you perhaps think it is, but they have a team of people. They can take shifts. They can take turns. They have somebody who is dedicated to their social media, who is running that job. It is not the owner of that company. And when you are used to that kind of Kickstarter response, you don't see the human on the other side of these smaller companies. And that is where my beef with the CMON Kickstarter model kind of falls is that it dehumanizes Kickstarter. It turns it into a pre-order platform where you can make demands, where you have certain expectations that need to be met, that it is the understanding that will be met, that, you know, it's not a, a maybe kind of thing. It's not let's help this game happen. It's well, I paid my money and I expect all these stretch goals to be met because everyone backs all of the CMON games. And so each of these stretch goals, I will get all of the things and I will get them in the time frame that I expect because they didn't actually need time to go. They've got the avenues. They have all the publishing ready to go. They've had this game developed. This is this is a, a finished product that we are pre-ordering, not a game we are developing that you are backing. And that when you have those side by side on the same platform, it's really hard to expect consumers to always understand that nuance. Well, if it makes you feel better, over the last couple of years, Simon has taken, ooh, they are not making people happy. Um, <laughs> yeah, they. I mean, they, have... it wasn't a really sustainable approach they had from my yeah. perspective, but. So yeah. they've recently, you know, they shipped um, Truvang, Truvang Legends uh, over a year late because they weren't happy with the gameplay. And from what I can tell, if the gameplay was worse than what they shipped, um, <laughs> then Ooh, they really boy. had a reason for delaying it. And they should probably have delayed it a couple more years. Um, I watched a playthrough of it and I'm like, I, I can't, I can't. I like I'm not a huge fan of the IP or I didn't really know what the IP was before. Uh, I was interested in the gameplay, but when I was watching it I'm just like, okay, just uh, is this is not it, what I'm interested in. But that's not even the hard part or the the big issue with them right now. The big thing is I believe they're charging 
actual shipping price for everything. And by that, I mean, if you were to go in and get the highest price from, you know, FedEx or something, Mm -hmm. because I recently pre-ordered something from them because I will get everything Cthulhu Death May Die. And the volume two of the comics is currently for pre-order on uh, their website. So they're not kickstarting this version. The last volume one, they kickstarted. This one, they're not kickstarting. They're just doing pre-orders. And there's a lot of gameplay content that comes with the comics. So I'm like, okay, I want this, 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 and this. So I get, the, I got the comics, which was essentially all the Zombicide stuff and all the Cthulhu Death May Die stuff. The total came to, I want to say, $130. Shipping was $50. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's insane. Like, it's crazy insane, the prices that they're charging for shipping. Now, I justify it by, especially for, like, Cthulhu Death May Die. You know, I'm all in on on that. And the shipping on that was, I don't know, probably $100 total or something something ridiculous. But the but for all I was getting for going to the Kickstarter, I'm like, okay, yes, I'm getting my money's worth. It still is a sticker shock when you back something for your, you know, your $250 to go all in, and then your shipping is close to $100. Like... That I understand why people are upset about that. Even though they, they're upfront about it, I'm just like, just charge for, more for the games and charge less for shipping. Let people <laughs> think that they're getting a deal. Right. Because, uh, it's that's that's painful. It's painful to see. It's hard to see, but also, I don't know, like, there's also no alternative. It's it's not well, like you can say, like, oh, well, you know, uh, I'll go pick it up somewhere. It's like, yeah, you're you're going to pay it or you're not going to get the game. And a lot of these things, like, this is the only way you can get it. And it yep. feels like you're being held hostage a little bit. Yep. Well, and then you compare that to something like Chip Theory Games. Now, Chip Theory Games, if you are unaware, um, they make games that almost always include poker chips and neoprene mats. There are no cardboard components in anything they do besides the box. And These are physically even, heavy games. <laughs> they're physically heavy games. And with the Too Many Bones um, Trove Chest, even the box is not made of cardboard. <laughs> it is a wooden box. And it they are super expensive. Uh, they're super well made. And even the, the cards are plastic. Like, you can play them underwater. Like it's they're completely waterproof games, but the shipping on them is free. Mm-hmm. So anything you buy from them, they had ten dollars shipping, and now I think it's just free shipping. Um, but anything you buy from them is just like yeah, free shipping. And they do that because the games are expensive, and it's the price is sort of built in to that. I'm fine spending two hundred fifty dollars on a Chip Theory game and say ooh, free shipping, awesome. Where if I spent one hundred and fifty dollars on it and said oh, a hundred dollars in shipping, this company sucks. Like, it's the same amount of money, but I guarantee that's where my mind would be, depending on how those prices break down. Spending money on shipping never feels good. Never. It just doesn't. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Lie to me, publishers. That's my moral here. (laughs) Lie to me, publishers. Yes. Be like Amazon. Just make the thing cost more. This is what we're (laughs) used to. This is what we accept now. Yeah. And if I don't have to, or if I pay a monthly fee, I'm fine with that too. If Simon had a subscription where it's like, yeah, sp- give us $100 a year and all your Kickstarter shipping would be free, 100% I'm in. And I'm backing more of their stuff because now I get free shipping if I back their stuff. Like, I'm in. You're part I will of the spend, club. Terrence is like, I will spend an extra $50 to get quote unquote free shipping. <laughs> yep. <laughs> It's especially great. are they going to offer you content too? Is there streaming content baked in with your free uh, shipping? It, it better be. So, well, that's the other thing too. Okay, so let's talk about that. Um, 
let's talk about what we expect from our publishers as far as content. And specifically, How badly streaming. has Amazon broken us? <laughs> <laughs> John mentions that most of the things on Amazon are cheaper, which you are right to a point until you start digging under the hood a little bit. And then you're like, oh, wow, I just paid five times as much on Amazon as I could have if I just walked into my local Walmart, knowing yes. that whoever's selling them on Amazon went to their local Walmart and bought a whole bunch of them so they could sell them on Amazon. Um, but the convenience, I love it. I, I will use Amazon until... Amazon is not flames. the cheapest. It is the most convenient. They're not the cheapest. They are the most convenient, yep. Um, but yeah, so what kind of media should we expect from our publishers? Should we want them to be constantly you know, in touch with us and videos on how to plays and, you know, where does, where does those expectations lie? Do you have any expectations that publishers have anything media related besides a rule book? And we'll, we'll talk about rule books in a second, but. All I want is for every publisher to pay Rodney Smith to make them a succinct how to play video. And a lot <laughs> of publishers are doing that. <laughs> He's good at what he does. <laughs> yep. Yep. And there's a few others that do it too, but Rodney does it the best. He did it. He did it right first. Yep. Yeah. I like. I like when publishers officially pay for content creators to make instructional videos for them. Mm -hmm. Um. The um. Oh, why is his name escaping me? I want to say Sean, but I don't think that's right. Shane, maybe the guy who is now on uh, Rado's <laughs> channel, uh, he did the video on how to play Twilight Imperium in 38 minutes. Shay, Shay Parker. Uh, thanks, Christopher. And he now is doing game videos for publishers and he does them in a very succinct way as well. It's like if you can play, learn how to play Twilight Imperium, I think it's 32 minutes or something like that, he can teach any game to you. Um, <laughs> And he does a really good job at, at doing that. So I like when publishers do that. I like when there's a video form of their games officially sponsored, because what that means is they've watched the videos, they've signed off that the rules are being taught correctly. It's not just a, you know, someone throwing something out there. Um, Terrence does mention order of the order of gamers.com. They do a lot of um, short sheets for all kinds of games. Tons of them. Um, oftentimes, less words and better rule books than the original. I don't know that they're actually being hired by publishers yet, but they should. So I'm <laughs> I'm all for that. All right. How do we feel about publishers' rule books? What is the responsibility of the publisher to make a good rule book? Kitty's like, make it easy to read. <laughs> don't make it difficult. <laughs> I have so many opinions, as we all know about rule books. Um, is it the publisher's there... responsibility or the designer's responsibility? I think both. Yeah. I think it's the publisher's responsibility to make sure that the game designer has done a good job or to hire someone to fix it. It's the <laughs> game published. It ultimately falls on the publisher. Um, but, you know some of that falls like you know to the designer too so i'm gonna say all of it falls on the publisher designers can't write rule books sure. they just they just don't um the problem is with designers is they have the concepts they have the rules they know how to put them out there but that doesn't necessarily mean they're technical writers mm -hmm. and that's why when you get something from kickstarter 
that where the rule books are written by the same people who designed the game, you get the biggest complaints about the rule books. A good publisher will be able to write or have written a good rule book. And I think that that does fall on the publishers. Publishers need to make sure that their rule books are good, succinct, but verbose Easy enough to, to and clear. get the points. <laughs> yeah. Um, and there's no standard to how people write rule books. For a little while, we were starting to get some conventions, but now I look at rule books and it's just like everything's all over the place. Everyone just keeps trying to reinvent the rule book. I'm playing um, ISS Vanguard. And the rule book for that is chapter one is a tutorial. Just follow oh, it word no. by word. <laughs> no. it's, it's not it's not terrible. It's just really hard to actually learn the rules without actually I'm playing the gonna, game in the process. I'm never gonna play. I'm never gonna do it. <laughs> I wasn't going to in the anyway. first place. Yeah, yeah, but now especially. So and well, here's the thing. Mm. When I was playing it, it <laughs> taught me the rules for the tutorial very well. And then when I started having to reference back to certain things, I'm like, okay, wait a minute. I know I read this somewhere, but it's not in chapter three where the rest of the rules are. So I guess I have to go back to chapter one and find that spot in the tutorial where this was mentioned. So they, like they're trying to do something different. Kingdom Death Monster was somewhat similar. The, that well, rule book so was that huge. one is just. It came with its own bookmark. Yeah, here's a role playing. Yeah, here's a role playing sized book. So 300 <laughs> pages to play this board game. Yes. And with, with, so, yeah. with glorious artwork sprinkled throughout, but it's like, can I just, there's, can I have a quick reference sheet or something or like a concise, I don't know, glossary or index or something. I don't know. I need something. Searchable it, it, PDF. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> well, so most of the time I just end up trying I would to Google love, it. What I would love is just make a web page of it. Like yeah. HTML allows us, to do all kinds of linkings, hover over, video examples. Like you can make an interactive rule book that is also readable without the interactions. And it's just kind of an enhanced rule book when it's online. I'd be fine with that. Go to this, here's a QR code and boom, there you go. Just give me a PDF so I can download it. I don't need a printed copy of a rule book. A PDF would be nice, but mostly I just want a hyperlinked version of it, uh, which Makes me sound like I'm from the 90s, but I want a live version <laughs> of the It's on the World Wide I Web. Want, yes. I want the World Wide Web to have my rule books on it, darn it. But is and it I a want series rule, of tubes? It's a series of tubes. And I want my rule books to be living. I want I don't need a printed rule book that's gonna change the moment it gets into someone's hands and they start, you know, eroding things or correcting things. Just give me a link to a PDF that you update. Whenever it needs to be updated, and I'm I'm okay with that. Um, I can like I don't need to print it. I I understand why some people want printed rule books. I just think that a living rule book is a better way to go because then it's always up to date. Here's second edition. I updated the rules. Now it's cleaner. Great. You can just make them better over time and just do that. <sighs> Publishers. I like the idea of it being like a physical rule book, just with the. QR code on the back. Now scan this. So, like, if you ever, you know, take your games on a cruise that doesn't have Wi-Fi or whatever it is, you have those there. You don't need the internet all the time. Yeah. If you so forgot Michael, to download something, you have a physical Michael, copy as well as a PDF. Yeah. Michael makes a good point. Until it's no longer supported, or you buy a game that's you know that's not on there anymore. But I think 
having rule books, especially when we have something like Board Game Geek, where you can post your rule book there and it'll stay there forever. For as long as the internet exists, you will have that rule book that can live there. Um, I think that's fine. I think that eventually we won't see paper rule books anymore. You'll just get a USB drive inside the box because it'll be cheaper than paper. You're not even going to get a USB drive. You're going to get a QR code or go to this website. And and NFC print it out if you or print it out or save it if you want to, you know, have it yeah. for later. Yeah. But I just I don't know. I think that more living rule books would be nice. Maybe that's its own topic though. But yeah, rule books publishers love make good rule ones. books too, where you could like have the the flavor copy of the rule book and then it's like there's a button you can click that's like eliminate all flavor. Give me <laughs> the plain rules, no artwork, no quotes. I don't need the history. Just show me how to play the game. Because yeah, I like the flavor the, most of the time, but sometimes I just need the rules. Yeah, that that's where the order of gamers comes in. <laughs> you can just it's just I the know. rules, like straight up just the rules. All right. What about I and I hear this a lot, um, packaging, sustain sustainfulness, too much plastic, uh, too much cardboard. Gloom or Frosthaven just shipped, it was thirty two pounds. It's you know, completely wasteful. Um <laughs> where are your guys' mindsets on that? Careful. Um, so I think gamers want a giant box of stuff, right? <laughs> yep. Because I mean, I mean, look at, uh, look when you buy a cell phone, right? Like Apple, Samsung, a lot of, you get these small little tiny box, like literally just the phone and the cable and people are complaining. There's no more charger. It's the phone and the cable and that's it. But with these giant games, the foundations of Rome, you literally get the foundations of Rome in a box shipped to you. <laughs> <laughs> And people couldn't be happier, even though it's like literally, it's just all paper. It's all dead wood that you're getting. Well, in that case, it's all plastic because okay, it's all plastic. buildings of entire Roman plastic. Yeah. I, Kitty, something else to mention on this one? How do you feel about sustainability in your games? Um, I think that if we care about sustainability as a hobby, we need to vote with our consumer dollars for games that we feel are doing a better job towards that end and that it is very difficult to both want all the miniatures and also be sustainable and you have to kind of (laughs) choose where your priorities lie and i do think that this is one where you as the consumer have to make that choice for yourself and you don't get to tell other people how they should feel about their dollars spent. At least all I the was paper stuff to... is recyclable. Yeah, a lot of it. I'd is. rather have cardboard than pl- plastic, personally. Um, but that's just me. You you said it well. Um, I will say I'll, <laughs> I, I will go out there and say I do not care about sustainability in my board games, and it's not because I don't care about the planet. It's because the board game industry barely registers. Yeah, as far as like waste on this planet there are so many bigger things to worry about that giving publishers a hard time for making the game that people are asking them to make is ridiculous to me why does Simon have all the plastic because every time they do they make millions of dollars they want the plastic they want the plastic (laughs) i want the plastic i find them like i there's a lot of games now that i don't get because there's too much plastic in it but that's again my choice to make but should 
publishers feel bad for giving consumers what they want? I don't think so. If consumers don't want that, don't buy that. And yeah. there have been a number of times. Hear about it. You know, like there are things. A lot of times you can choose like standees over the plastic figures or you can do other options. I happen to own a copy of Risk that is made entirely out of wood because I like that. Yep. Well, and the thing is, so the standees versus um, the plastics uh, things, every game that's ever made a standees option versus plastic option, the standees options have gotten like eight people. And then you have Mm -hmm. 800 people on the plastic side. Because yeah. people want to say, like, there's a small, very vocal group that wants to say, I don't want my plastic. I want, give me small, da, da, da. The truth is, most of the people that are backing most these games people want the big stuff. are not in that category. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, you, you don't get to choose for them. <laughs> yeah. So, all I'm saying there is, yes, I think we need to pay attention to the world in general. No, the gaming industry is not going to be the downfall of our planet. Sure. It, they could start something, but and and Stephen Bond, of course, has said this many times, and I 100% agree with him. The gaming industry does not have the margins to draw, try to be the moral leader of the world in their tiny, tiny, tiny little niche. Nobody cares about market. They can't make an impact. It has to be the bigger companies. It has to be like. Companies are actually significantly (laughs) contributing to these problems. I think you could throw away every single board game in the country and it wouldn't even like scratch the surface of what Sheen does every day. Exactly. So it is, that's just my thing on that. So if publishers, if you're listening, just do what the people want because that's how you're going to stay in business and make good games. If you're going to make all, if you're going to use all the packaging and make all the plastic and stuff, make a good game. I'm make a good game, make a game that people are going to keep playing. And that's the thing is like, you know, don't think of this as like a buy, use, throw away, get something new. Think of it as like, this is an investment. You know, I am, I'm playing it multiple times. I'm keeping this for years. This is something that is not just going to end up in a landfill in a couple of years, you know, like make informed decisions on games that you think you will actually play. Chris. <laughs> I I like that Terrence is like Chris make an app that users want and make it be a, and be a good app to follow I am thank you very much now some of the clients I work for are not but I make great stuff <laughs> um, so I actually think what's going to end up happening as far as the miniatures and maybe not this may not be a short term thing but I think this is something that we could see happening more and more is you end up getting cardboard standees with STL files that you can print out. I would be fine with that because resin printers are becoming so cheap and so easy to use that you can just go and print all the stuff that you want. I don't think this is going to be mainstream for another couple decades until you can just have like a, you know, a resin cartridge that you plug in and it just automatically prints without any hassle. But 3D printers are going to allow us to not have to mass produce things that are never used. That way, when I get my game and I don't play it, I don't print the minis. So the minis never existed in the first place. In the um, random sidetracked thing, I'm trying to get my dad to start a TikTok where he just films the things that the library patrons print on their 3D printer. Because, man, do people (laughs) print weird stuff at the library. (laughs) I can imagine. Um, All right. Let's talk. We, we 
we're actually we're pretty far in, but we're going to talk about a couple more things. Um, expansions. This game needs an expansion. The publisher should make one. When is that statement true? It's a thought that has never crossed my mind. <laughs> <laughs> I hate expansions. Stop making me buy more things. <laughs> Fine. Fletcher, uh, do know. you like expansions? When there's enough demand there, I guess. Right? I think Popularity that's the main and thing. demand. Right. Yeah. Um, I think for Fletcher, who we've now recently come to know that his favorite game is Dungeons and Dragons and he does not own it. <laughs> um, this is a game that has lots and lots and lots and lots of expansions and i'll buy anything that they put out for it um and why do they have lots of expansions because there are a lot of people who will buy anything they put out for it um dominion is another one they're going to keep making expansions no matter how many times they say it's the last one as long as people keep saying i want to i want to buy another expansion um the games that don't get expansions are the games that still have their first print run sitting in a warehouse someplace and they can't get rid of it Um, because expansions sell less than the original and each new expansion sells less than the expansion before it. So eventually people just stop buying games. Uh, So if your game didn't get an expansion, it's because people didn't like it enough or didn't know about it enough to ask for it to be made. And that asked by their wallet, not, not Twitter because Fletcher can go and, and say, Hey, Wizard of the coast, you need to make another expansion. (laughs) but if he's not spending money on it it doesn't matter if he's saying it or not fortunately in that case enough people are spending money on it but um but yeah and also if you're making a game make it good without the an expansion that's probably a good rule of thumb you shouldn't need an expansion to fix your game although there's a lot of games that are sort of like that the only expansions i can think of that i actually use i like a couple of the carcassonne expansions but there's so many of them. It's wild. You can't. Um, and the Settlers of Catan five and six player expansion. That was it. That's the only one. I have a lot of expansions. I didn't say I, I don't have any. I have all yeah. the Wingspan expansions, I think. <laughs> I've got, I just got the Windward expansion and Big Box, which is insane and i have to find a space in my home for it because i'm not used to having big games like chris does i'm i need to take all my big boxes and put them next to each other and then use my son as a measuring stick so he can stand next to each one and we'll see how big the boxes are in relation to a four-year-old my biggest box is the windward big box expansion duo um, and I'm pretty sure it's not nearly as big as some of your smaller big boxes. They're, I think my other ridiculous. one that's coming, Seventh uh, Citadel, going to be a big box. I don't know. It, um, it if it's the same size as the original, it's not that big a box. It should be okay. okay. It's a dense box. You can't bring it yeah. through airport security without heavy. them stopping you to open that's it. All I but, know. Yeah, I think that's the 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 other biggest one that I've backed. I don't back a lot of big games or right, buy them two, even or play them. Two, <laughs> two more subjects I want to talk about. First is organized play. This <laughs> is near and dear to my heart because it's I think too bad all competitive that pause got cut. <laughs> there was a heavy pause there, guys. <laughs> I so I want all my competitive games to have organized play program because then there's something official to play by. 
And then I started thinking, that's what I want, right? And then I started thinking, like, wait a minute, no, that's not actually what I want. I want certain select games to have an organized play program. But I think that organized play programs are exceedingly rare. And I don't think we should expect any publisher to do them, really. Like, can you think of Fletcher? Can you name three organized play programs? And I'm not even going to limit you on any of them. I think one of them's easy. Organized play programs. Um, yes. Which, uh, I mean, let, me define, let me define that. This is official community play that the publisher is sponsoring in some way. So, I mean, I mean, I, I know there's like Magic the Gathering, like sponsored play. I don't know what it's called. Well, which is fine. Okay. So, that's one. Magic the Gathering has an organized play program. Right. There's Keyforge, I know, because... That just started up again, and we talked about it recently. So it it sort of does. We don't actually know what the organized play program. We know what the tournament scene looks like there. So that's it's partially there. We don't know what it looks like at the store level just yet. But okay. yes, and then you could also say D and D. D and D has D and D and like Warhammer. Yeah. You know, like those kind of things. Warhammer is a good one. So Games Workshop, Wizards of the Coast. Those are two publishers we just talked about, and Fantasy Flight Games goes on and off with their organized play programs. Um, Paizo, but Pathfinder is basically the same. Right. Well, but that's that's Dungeon true. Dragons, so Paizo has yeah. one, right? Um, and things something like Flesh and Blood, which is, you know, another collectible trading card game. They are very big in their organized play program. Uh, WizKids has Hero Clicks. Thanks, John. Um, so those are, like, they're the big names. They're big publishers putting out a lot of resources into these organized play programs. And at the top of the show, I got on, you know, the the Steve Jackson train being like, why don't they have organized play for Car Wars? Well, they don't have it because it would be a huge failure. And <laughs> I mean, because only it, Chris is asking for it. <laughs> basically, right? And it, it goes back to the expansions thing. If there's people there that's willing to pay for it, sure, you can see that. But if there's not, it's not going to happen. And something like Car Wars is a very niche game. And you're not going to be able to pull out... Even Keyforge struggles with this organized play of keeping people, you know, getting a regular group coming to local stores. And you have to have a certain critical mass to make an organized play program work. Otherwise, it's just an expensive flop. You also have to have a continued new content stream coming to support the organized play because it's all it's it's very the organized play sells more stuff you make more stuff to fuel the organized play and, and it just keeps feeding itself yep so <sighs> yes i'm getting Almost off the all those play. things <laughs> yeah now i'm not saying you can't have local leagues and stuff and i do think that publishers could support league play better essentially you just sell league kits right you say hey mm-hmm. We're going to create these kits. There'll be, you know, print on demand, which these days you can print on demand really high quality stuff. And if you want to create a Car Wars League, by all means, do that. If you want to create a, you know, whatever league you want, if these publishers are able to say, okay, we can support this. Awesome. Hell, I could even see a company whose sole goal, I might be forming this tonight, is Basically to <laughs> like have league support, they work with the publishers directly, but the that company handles all of the leagues for whatever companies they work with. So it's like, 
okay, we're going to do a Car Wars League, going to Steve Jackson Games saying, hey, we're going to run this league, uh, or we're going to, we want to run this league for you. All we need from you is some promo cards, right? Boom, done. This Now this goes into our league kit. We handle everything else from here. We print the kits. We sell the kits. You know, we keep scores on lines. We track achievements, whatever you want to do. But that kind of thing would be cool. You still have to have a critical mass in a specific area, especially when you're talking physical games. Terrence mentions that he'd be a lot more excited about his Car Wars if he had a place to play it, right? If there was an actual place where you could go to your local game and store and people were playing. And yes, you can set that up as a player, but that's a lot of work too, because now you're running the event. You're not enjoying the event. And I like running things, but I typically don't run the things I play in. So if I really like a game, I can run an event. I just still won't get to play the game. And Christopher Dog mentions the chicken versus the egg issue. It's like, if you make organized play, people will come. And you'll build a fan base. But if you don't have the fan base, then you don't have enough enough people to start organized play. Because there's nothing lamer than three people sitting around a table trying to play organized play in a two-player game. It's just not that fun. But I think that that little aside was, <sighs> we got to give publishers a break. They can't do everything. So, yeah. All right. Last one. And this one's going to be just more of a fun one. Customer service. What do you think? I mean, publisher, right? It's got to be. Publishers, yes. <laughs> or Comcast. We can always vent about that. But <laughs> <laughs> Should publishers be responsible to replace components in a game, period? I think that's full stop. Um, I think publishers should replace defective games from printing errors. Yes. I don't think they should replace... My five-year-old piece broke after I played with it for seven years. Whatever you know. I mean, who's responsible for the that warranty? Time didn't make I sense, think that's yeah. the you know the publisher and the printer, right? So, yeah. Well, so as far as I know, no board game in history has ever come with a warranty. Mm-hmm. Really? So you open it up and it's yeah. all crap, and you're just SOL. I mean, up until a few years ago, that was probably seventy percent of the games. They were I think a lot of it fine component wise, but they were still actually. crap. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I think before that, like, you know, most games came from retailers. Retailers were responsible for I am making sure I am stocking quality games in my store and I will bear the cost of replacing a defective game. Uh, and that's the, the middleman there. Yeah. And that is actually what makes our game. And I, I bring this up and I don't it's kind of tongue-in-cheek, but not really. It's sort of serious that your traditional retail market, if you buy a shirt from Target and you get it home and you find a stain or a rip in it, you don't call the manufacturer of that shirt. That's true. You bring it back Mm -hmm. to Target. Yeah. And Target replaces it for you. Asmodee made this policy, I want to say almost three years ago now, maybe four years ago now, where they said, we are no longer, for for us or any company that we hold, going to do replacement parts. Take the game back to the retailer and they will replace the game. And that's your retail, you know, distribution channels. Now, that was met with a lot of negative response. Asmodee held their ground and that's still how you deal with it. If you get an Asmodee game from any other publishers, if there's a problem, you bring it back to the retailer, return it and get a new one. Um, This works in traditional retail because you have enough quantity to where, you know, that Target shirt, there's a lot of Target shirts there, or they just give you your money back. Games is trickier, though, because 
some games, there's literally 2,000 copies on the planet of those games. And you won't find those games at your local... Re- like, you can bring them back to the game store. The game store will take it. But the, ch- the chances of them having a replacement for you is very, very slim. Especially for something like, you know, that is a chase game or hard to find or something like that. So, I'm on the fence on this one. Um, it's tricky. I recently emailed Simon for because one of the Kickstarter things I got and I think for Kickstarter is a little different I think for Kickstarter you are allowed to go to the publisher since they're the ones that directly sold it to you Mm -hmm. so in that regard 100% I think there's still a time frame you can't be like oh I opened my Kickstarter a year after I got it and it was missing pieces and I you know they didn't give them to me but um but with Simon, I you know I emailed them and said, "Hey, I'm missing this piece. I took a picture of like a defective piece, and this mini was broken." And it took them probably th- three or four weeks to get back to me via email. And they said, "Okay, um, we'll ship it out to you." And I got my replacement miniature and all my pieces, and all all was good in that case. Um, others times I would expect, and in, even in this case, I expected them to say no on the mini. I expect them to say the damage isn't significant enough. Just glue it. But they like, just okay, normally it. we wouldn't replace this. But, you know, here, it, it, literally what the email this was is says, not like, a normally cool we mini. wouldn't replace this. But in this case, we're going to replace it for you. So more like broken um, mini or not. Am I right? Broken mini or not. <laughs> I don't know. Just keep in mind when you are talking to publishers, typically you go to where you bought the product from to get your refund, you don't typically go to the publisher. And if I buy games off of Amazon, that's where I return them. I bought a Zool mm-hmm. Queen's Gambit, opened it up, and I got a duplicate set of components. I didn't call Plan B. I said, I think that's who that does it. I called Amazon. Actually, I, I just clicked a button on Amazon and returned it, got a new one. Like, that's the way you typically do it in retail. So Christopher says they did it because they couldn't have me giving them a bad mouth. Bad, bad word of mouth. I did say, I am Chris Steele of Tabletop Game Talk, and if you don't replace <laughs> this miniature without question and with utmost haste, I shall bash your company. Um, and, I, and dozens I of people will, who listen to me. Will dozens will. of people. There's dozens of us. <laughs> Most people disagree with Kitty. I will have Kitty bash your company, and then there'll be multiple dozens of people. <laughs> Uh, I do enough right. bashing of Simon. They're not going to do anything for me. <laughs> no, they're not. I would have to disguise my email if I was going to try to get a mini replaced. Um, I have a couple other things here that I'm going to real quick, real quick. Big boxes, publishers keep doing it. People ask for them. Just please, for the love of God, make them easier to play the game with, not harder. Anachrony, <laughs> once you put that in the big box, it's an unplayable game. The Trove Chest for Too Many Bones, when you put that in the big box, it is a much more playable game. Follow that model. Make your big boxes make the game more playable and easier to get to the table, and I'll keep buying them. If it's just a giant box, it doesn't help. Stonemeyer yeah. does this too. Their big boxes are terrible. Give me an organization system, not just a giant box of air. Um... That one, I'm just going to I'm gonna rest on that one. Um, yeah, actually, I'm just going to rest on that one. That's good enough. Kitty, let's get out of here. All right. You did it too fast. I hadn't scrolled down far. <laughs> <laughs> Tabletop Game Talk is a proud member of the Dice Tower Network. You can be part of our live recordings Monday nights at 830 Central, although not for the next two weeks. 
Join our Discord to continue the conversation. It is also where you can join us and other listeners in a constant stream of online games on Board Game Arena. Show notes have all the links you need, and you can always go to tabletopgametalk.com for more information and to search our growing archive of episodes. Hosting fees and giveaways are sponsored by our patrons. Adam Harrison, Miles Clark, Sahara Wentworth, Michael Finley, Listener Doug, The Gift of Games, Jason Strong, John Lewis, Joe Hoover, Danita Hersey, Jim Conrad, Lightning Steve, Gary Bunker, Peter Fleming, Andrew Fayash, John Williams, Sir Sully, Matthew Droke, Jimothy, Paul Romer, Nicholas Lotz, Weatherman Keith, Leanne Verholst, Stephen Judd, Marina Stevens, Ben Gary, Sean Peck, Michael Yanikowski, Jeremy Fisher, Christopher Dong, Terrence Miltner, Richard Yossi, Tolkien Fan Forever, Stephen Falcon, Joe Romero, David Radke, Brian Arnold, Courtney Falk, Ryan Ellett, Dan Seed, Darren McClellan, David Garner, Jesse Wheeler, Charles Pearson, Agnes Toth, Ron Nelson, Aaron Moore, Don Gilstrap, Glenn Cotter, Eric Salander, Adrian Dong, Eric Huffman, Jason Rodney, Justin Willard, Cherry Wong, Sean P. Kelly, Krista Keel, Monica Witchman, and Michael27. And thank you to anyone who's ever been a patron. Your support means the world to us. Past, present, and future. If you want to become a future patron, but in the present now, if if you want to give us money, go to the links in the show notes. Until next week, <laughs> keep playing games and having fun. <laughs> So, Terrence asked a question right near the end. Should publishers be doing better inserts? What do you guys think about inserts? Yes, they should. <laughs> Kitty, what do you think about inserts? Um, I only notice them when they're awful. <laughs> I, for inserts, and I think this is valid, and a lot of publishers have to think about this too, um, making a good insert is really, really expensive. And there is a significant number of the population that as soon as they open a game, they do throw them away. So... Even molded inserts that seem to be made in a way of, you know, thinking reasonable, I still end up throwing them away unless they're like something like game trays or something like that, where they help facilitate play. So mm-hmm. I think it's a I think it goes thing. to organization. If a well-made insert yes. helped you organize it, then yes. Otherwise, if yep. you're just going to shrink wrap a bunch of cards together and throw it in a box, it doesn't. I'm, I'm going to go further than organization, though. If a well-made insert helps you get the game to the table faster. That's why I love something like um, Eclipse, um, New Dawn for the Galaxy, because you just pull out the trays, you hand them to each player, and they take the top off and they're ready to play. That is a system I like. (laughs) It is what drives me crazy about, and I'm so nervous about opening up my Windward big box and expansion, is it separates all the pieces out so that then you have to redistribute each kind of piece to each player, and it drives me crazy. Yeah. So I've nope. disposed with those inserts. Yeah. One of these days, we'll probably do an entire episode on inserts, but... I think we already have. Yeah. Have we? We had a lot of I, feelings. We have a lot of feelings. We're going to have to go check. But as, <laughs> I, as I get more and more into making my own inserts, um, maybe we'll, we'll follow We can do on, a whole topic on making on your own. Making your own inserts. And there's a lot of ways to do that. Mm-hmm. All right. That's a wrap. Uh, we will not be recording live for the next two weeks. We will see you January, the first Monday in January. Second, I think. 